Hi guys and welcome to episode 9 of the Northern Rugby Podcast. Today we are joined by former Scotland number 8, Ali Hogg. Ali represented Scotland 48 times during his career and also represented Edinburgh Rugby and Newcastle Falcons at club level. So Ali's going to chat to us about getting started in rugby with Edinburgh, breaking into the Scotland team in 2004 at 21 years old, being considered for the Lions Tour in 2005, falling out of favour with Andy Robinson as Scotland coach and has moved to England with Newcastle Falcons. He also talks to us about the state rugby currently finds itself in, what a successful season would look like for Newcastle Falcons, and a potential future career in coaching. So let's get into it and see what Ali had to say. Hi, how are you doing? Hi Ali, how are you? Not too bad yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you, very well. Good, good. How's, uh, how's 2020 been treating you, mate? Ah, oh, a bit of shit, isn't it? <laughs> just a bit. Yeah, just, uh, pretty, just pretty rubbish, really, and just, yeah, that's... Pretty much it. Just stuck in working from home for the foreseeable future. Stuck in my spare room. Uh, yeah, that's it, really. Trying to <clears throat> surviving at least. How's the kids been? Yeah, they've been all right actually. Um, it's just well, we just sort of cracked on. It's better now they're back at school um, and back into more. Some of the classes have started back up, which is good. Yeah, uh, swimming and different species like that. So. Um, nah, uh, it's better then. They're, they're enjoying that and it's back into more of a routine that way, which is good. Yeah, good. Well, Ali, thanks very much for uh, for coming on the podcast with us. It's always nice to have ex Falcons on. Sure. Um, so pretty much it's just a an informal chat about your career, really. So just take us back to the uh, to the very beginning with the young Ali Hogg and, and how you got your beginnings in rugby. Oh, back then that far, I can't remember that far back. <laughs> Were you, uh, did you get picked up out of uni? Did you play before that? How, how did you wind up with uh, with Edinburgh? Um, well, I basically played rugby since I was, what, six or seven. Dad used to play at Stirling County, a local club, and he thought I'd quite enjoy it, so he took me down um, and started playing there. Um, and played pretty much from six, seven, right the way up until, was it 18, 18, 19, when I signed professional. Um, with Edinburgh, so a, almost a youth career, and then it broke into the sort of first 15, so age 16, 17, uh, and then sort of coincided with getting picked up with sort of all the age group stuff along the way. Um, so we never played school, at, uh, uh, no, never played rugby at school at all, um, until sort of very latterly when Stirling County had a very, very good, and still do have a very successful mini section, um, and. Uh, where lots of lots of my mates played in the, the my year and the year below, so we set up our own rugby team at school, which was quite good with all our local schools. Um, and sort of very fortunate, the team that we played in were, were very successful. We, we hadn't lost any games. It was a very uh, sort of talented year group that we had um, going all the way up, and then the same with sort of, sort of national stuff as well. That uh, we were sort of quite a good crop, and a lot of our sort of under 18s, 19s um, team went on to sign professional and also. Um, uh, going to play the well. And what was it like? Because you signed not long after um, professionalism kicked in. So what was it like coming in like Edinburgh first team? Uh, yeah, obviously it was certainly just a lot different from what it was now. Um, and and you speak to the guys from the very start how different it was. Um, and it just it, it more more sort of the strength and conditioning side of it, and just the, the professionalism of it. Um, you wouldn't recognise sort of weight training, uh, diet, uh, advice, like that. The amount of training you did, in most days were like double days. 
double rugby day is where really you get little claims like double rugby days as you did then as you did now. Um, and even you go back to sort of the early, early days, like they're, they're training rugby days twice a day every day, and they wonder why they got to the weekend they're at in Africa. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that sort of changed a lot, and I think just also adaptations in the rules of what you could do when I first started rugby uh, to what you can do now, so um, not drastically different, but it's changed, changed a lot. Was I suppose one instance would be if you try to sack a mall, you could sack malls back then. And if, if you didn't sack them all and you were on the ground, you just got the absolute crap kicked out of you and you literally be cut to shreds. Whereas now, if you did that, you'd be banned for like three weeks. Whereas it was kind of a given that you were going to get stood on and uh, you'd be in pieces. And uh, you, you wound up breaking into the, uh, the, the Scotland team pretty early. Um, what, what age were you when you got your first cap? Uh, I was 21. Um, I just, just turned 21. So it was... Uh, I was sort of quite fortunate. It was, it was, it was early, yeah. So I basically had sort of season at Edinburgh, which I first season at Edinburgh of 2002, uh, I kind of 2002, 2003, went back to played for Stunning a lot. And then the following year, um, I got the odd sort of, sort of, the first year I got a few sort of bench spots and started one, maybe two games. Um, majority of my rugby was played back at Stunning. And then the second year, I started sitting on the bench a bit more and got a few more starts. And then it was sort of coincided with. Um, Matt Williams taking over the sort of Scotland job, um, and I had a couple of good um, sort of games that he'd started watching just as he was taking over. Um, and he'd obviously had a, an idea in his head that he wanted to sort of get rid of a lot of, sort of the older guard and bring in some new people. So, my first cap 2004, there was myself, um, Tom Phillip, Chris Custater, Dan Parks all got our first cap uh, in that game. Uh, and it was, uh, well, it was it was it was unreal. So it was it was early, um, but then I was playing alongside a lot of my uh, my teammates, and we were quite successful at that point. We were, we were winning lots, got to the quarterfinals of the European Cup that year as well. So it was a uh, it, it was it was a good sort of year to sort of break into, it and then playing alongside a lot of your 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 peers as well. And uh, it, it's interesting with Scotland because, like, a lot of people kind of forget that Scotland were the last ever Five Nations champions and they, and they had a great side. But since we've come into the kind of uh, Six Nations era, Scotland have, have tended to struggle a little bit. Um, what was what was it like being in that team um, that, that kind of lost more games than they won? Uh, well, I was just... It was, well, it was the first that my well, Matt Williams and <laughs> last particularly long. I, I had the same record as him because I played every game under him. I'm pretty sure it was played 17-1-3. Which was uh, which was not a great start, um, and then obviously Frank Haddon came in after that after the success he had at Edinburgh, and, and things picked up. Um, yeah, it's, you're in it. You want you're trying to do your best for your, your country, and, and playing that, and it's just it's just professional sport. Sometimes you're you're, you're going well, and you're on that sort of confidence. Uh, you, you look at the sort of Scottish football team; they've really struggled re- uh, recently, but then the last year they started winning, getting momentum. Uh, and, and I suppose winning breeds winning. It's that winning mentality, and you've got that confidence going. Um, and then if you start bringing that back, you look at the Falcons when we got to the um, the the semi-finals. In the following year, it's almost like the, the flip side of that that really sort of struggles that sort of losing mentality. And that sort of confidence is, is massive when it comes to things like that. And that's kind of where Scotland were. To be honest, when I first joined, we were so young then you didn't maybe appreciate a lot of that um, and understand that 
by more for the team of players to take on the shoulders a little bit more. And then, but then when you chuck in that kind of environment, you learn pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, particularly when it came to the, the Autumn Internationals that year, like Scotland didn't really have a good run, but you in particular did. And you came out of that with, uh, with a bit of a personal boost. Like, how, how, did those, uh, how did those Autumn Internationals go for you personally? That was good, yeah. Again, it was just getting more games, international games under your belt and playing. Uh, I think that was the first year we played four um, Autumn Internationals. We played Australia twice, if I remember right. Um, it was the opening of the Scottish Parliament, which they tried to get another one through. Um, <clears throat> which is, is a good story about that. So, uh, classic um, Matt Williams. We were playing Australia at Murrayfield, and, and um, Australia were very, uh, well, very good. A lot of quick, uh, quick winners. I think and one wing, Rossi Bukiri, another Matt Gipto in the centres. Lots of really quick backs, and uh, that was a concern. So Matt Williams. So they had their team run on the Friday before it at, say, say 10 o'clock. And we came in to do our team run at Murrayfield at, say, half 11, 12. And the ground staff were in repainting the lines. I'm like, what are you doing? And they basically moved the pitch in a metre either side to make the pitch narrower. But I hadn't told Australia until, like, that day. So <laughs> um, the was to make the pitch smaller to, so we could defend it. There wasn't as much space to run around. So anyway, game kicks off. I think it was maybe I was a liner or a scrum. I can't remember. Um, maybe five ten minutes in, and uh, Australia do this move and cut us clean through the middle and score underneath the posts. Which I was, so it was kind of like irrelevant to making the pitch smaller or not. <laughs> Good bit of gamesmanship, though, isn't it? Just uh, sneaky, subtle twists like that are, are brilliant. Like watering the pitch a ridiculous amount yeah. before a game and stuff. It's it it was so confusing because you still had you still had the old touchline, which then a meter in was the new touchline, but then a couple of meters after that was the old five meter line, yeah. and then <laughs> the new five meter. So you had about, and then you had the new fifteen meter line. So it was like you didn't know if you're in touch or in the five meter line or what. It was. on the pitch or out the pitch. <laughs> Things like that always backfire. I remember England did that a few seasons ago uh, when they uh, they expanded the in-goal area because they said it was really good for Johnny May. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it wound up being really good for Jacob Stockdale yeah, instead. Yeah, so, yeah. It, 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 it always backfires. Um, and Ali, move, moving back to Edinburgh then, like how were things going at, at club level in, in the old Pro 12 days? Um... Club of Pro 12 days. So I never played in the Pro 12. So I played basically, um, it was the Magnus League. So it was before then, um, before uh, that started. Um, and and you know, we we did well. So my last couple of seasons with um, with Edinburgh, we, we were pretty successful. I think we finished fourth and then second, which was the best they'd ever done at the time. Um, and again, we, we had a really sort of good sort of cropper uh, players who were sort of performing really well. Um, and, and, and sort of playing well for each other, uh, and, and sort of high on confidence, which was which is massive. Um, and we'd had a new coach come in. We'd had sort of Todd had left, Lynn Hales had come in. Things were a bit sort of rocky, and then Andy Robinson came in uh, and, and turned us around, um, and sort of got us playing some some good rugby, uh, and and we ended up being uh, pretty successful those sort of my last two years at Edinburgh. Um. Speaking of Andy Robinson, what was what was he like as a coach? Because obviously you had him at at club level, and then he he moved to the um, Scotland job, and that was that was coming off England job. 
So what, what was he like to, uh, to be coached under? You know, he's one of the best coaches I ever worked with. He was very intense, uh, very technically. Uh, technical knowledge was, was really good and he got us playing really well. Um, and I, I think certainly that was certainly the strength of his day-to-day coaching. Um, I think when he then went to Scotland, then he almost had too much time in his hands to sort of think about things and do bits and pieces. Um, and that's probably was his downfall. He ended up trying to... He, he's definitely sort of hands-on... Um, rugby coach and, he, and as I said he's one of the best coaches I work with and he certainly pushed me on a lot in, in my game um, but then sort of when he went to, to to Scotland he probably misses that sort of day-to-day interaction uh, and that's probably um, he ends up trying to sort of man, manage people when he's actually probably a, a day-to-day um, sort of coach um, so that that's um, sort of where we are with that and uh, you, you never really got a got a look in for his his Scotland side. Did, did he ever explain to you why? Basically, wasn't fast enough. Yeah, so I played I played every game with him. The year we finished second, I, I, and I'd been his captain. And then uh, he never 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 picked me again. I, I wasn't fast enough. He, he fancy he preferred sort of, uh, Richie Vernon, um, sort of Johnny Beatty as well. He said they were faster than me, which you can't deny they were faster than me. But then it, it's not necessarily. About being quick, it's about being smart and what you can bring to the yeah. team. Other aspects, and that's kind of what I was trying to put my bit across. Um, but he wasn't having any of it, um, and and that's it. So it's the nature of professional sport. If uh, if a coach likes you, brilliant. I suppose like Matt Williams, I got my chance. Um, but then if a coach doesn't like you, um, or he doesn't think you fit into the way he wants to play, then there's not really much you can do to sort of change his opinion, really. Because to be fair, I felt I was playing pretty well at the time. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, I got injured just sort of halfway through his first year. And then after that, I came down to Newcastle, actually. Uh, and then I, was play- I thought I was playing quite well at Newcastle. Um, uh, ended up getting a couple of A caps um, and did well. I got man of the match in both of them. Um, but then just didn't even get a squad after that. So, you know, you, you know you're not um, you know you're not anywhere near it and when you're not even making 50-man squads. So it was a bit like... Uh, frustrating to be honest, but uh, that, that so I see a bit about um, the 2005 Lions tour. Was that something that was in your mind? Do you think that you could potentially, potentially have gone there and made a difference there, or, or was there any sort of communication from the coaches around that? Yeah, like obviously I was in the. I got like the initial paperwork said you're interested. We're, we're, we're keen to, to get you involved. Um, and but then just didn't do it, and then funnily enough, it was Andy Robinson that was the coach. <laughs> uh, and then he he did say latterly, he said, I probably we probably should have bought you on, on that um tour, but there's not really much you can do about that. It's all hindsight, and whether he actually meant that or not, you'll never yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, um, that would have been that would have been brilliant, but um, you just you just don't know. It was it was nice to obviously get the recognition, and you got the paperwork through the door, it was quite exciting, but um. At that time, Scotland weren't doing particularly well. Yeah. So you can't sort of grumble too much because I think there was only one, two Scottish guys went on, on the tour, um, and, and that was it. So it was it, when you, when the, the national team's not playing well, then you can't. Really, yeah, it's, yeah, it's difficult, that. isn't it? Yeah. So you you played at the World Cup a couple of years later though. Um, scored a hat trick in uh, in a game there. What was what was that like? What was France like that year and um, your experiences at the World Cup? Because it, it's sort of a such a high-pressure cauldron, isn't it? Um, 
did you sort of thrive under that or was it you know was it was it difficult with the expectation no it was really good like it was phenomenal the most disappointing thing was you had to come back to Scotland for two games because <laughs> um, France were um, obviously there was a deal for us to go back and play uh, in one of the games at some Millennium Stadium as well and it was like the way that France set up and the way the whole country gets behind it and the organisation and the priority they give to sport in France is yeah definitely um, and it was the way that you were sort of looked after and the way the sort of local staying in St Etienne sort of got behind you was brilliant um, and it, it, was just, it was just a bit strange going back to Scotland to play in the World Cup that was in France yeah. um, but the, certainly the whole sort of set up and that uh, and the, the experience of it was, was phenomenal um, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it obviously getting to the quarterfinals just sort of fell short against Argentina um, but one of the sort of most high pressure games was that, that Italy game. So it was it was either us or them going through second behind New Zealand. Uh, and it was a wet, drizzly Scottish night in St. Etienne. <laughs> um and, and thankfully Chris Parson kicked the goals. But it, it was one of those um if you look back at the game and watch it, it was probably awful. But it was just it was one of those sort of real nervy all on the line uh, games. Um, but the whole sort of experience being involved in that being away for a month or so in, in camp and, and just uh, that's your sole focus which is really good. Yeah. So how did the move to the Falcons come about then? Because you were, you were playing a lot at Edinburgh the year that you left. Um, was it just a Europe for the new challenge or, or, or what was the sort of reason behind it? Um, yeah, exactly that. So um, I got offered a contract to Edinburgh as well and then um, Alan Tate at the time came in and said, do you fancy coming down here? And I always said to myself, I wanted to sort of experience a new environment and try something different um, and, and and test myself in, a, in, in that different environment. And this off, offered me the opportunity to do it. So although uh, I went anywhere else, really, it was um, it only just popped down the road from Edinburgh to, to Newcastle. Um, but yeah, and that, that's kind of, sort of how it came about because Alan Tate had just taken over as head coach as well uh, and looking to sort of strengthen the side. So. Uh, approached me and I thought, yeah, I, I think it sort of fits what I want to do. It was a sort of right time, I, I felt, career-wise, I'd been eight years at Edinburgh and, and sort of ready for that next challenge. And what was it like? Because uh, those first two seasons were very, very difficult. Obviously, the first season, the Falcons just survived relegation on points difference. And then the second season, they go down. So what was it like being part of that team where you're kind of up against it all the time? Yeah, it was tough. Um, and there's no sort of two ways about it, and it, it, it's hard getting sort of, um, physically beat up and, and then mentally beat up with sort of the losses as well. Um, but you learn a lot about your sort of self, teammates, who's who's good around about you, um, and 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 it, it takes a little while to to sort of bed the team in. You look sort of, I was what 27, 28. Um, you had then you had guys like sort of Mark Wilson coming through, Will Welsh. Joel Hodgson, Mickey Young was there, um, Alex Tate, um, you know, sort of real good sort of core young players. Um, plus, you know, so, 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 we had Jimmy Gopworth there at the time as well. So, um, sort of more younger players. Uh, and you look at sort of how successful those guys have gone on to be now. Is a lot of that sort of lessons learned. Yeah. And they probably didn't have enough experience um, or sort of breadth of experience. When he sort of first joined, and that and that sort of grew 
yes, we went down, Dean came in and sort of started bringing that bit in and a bit more of a sort of nice of how, how to win games and, and, and bringing that kind of knowledge with it and other sort of coaches as well. Um, and sort of bringing that belief back a little bit, which I suppose towards the end of the sort of sexy season where relegate Gary Gold did, um, we, we almost we, I suppose credit to all, all the guys on the coach staff. We almost got it back, and if we beat Ross by so many points in that last game, then we would have went up in Ross. Yeah, went down. it was a it was a horrible game because we did we win that twenty one seven or something? Did we win that game? Yeah, yeah, we, won, yeah we, need to, we need to win it by was it like thirty points? Yeah, or something yeah. Like um, and um, the fact that we even won the game and got ourselves into that position was uh, quite remarkable for how far away we were with what. Say eight nine games before yeah, the season. Yeah. I mean, he was brilliant. Gold coming yeah. in, um, and you know we've we've had a couple on the podcast already. Just talk about his knowledge and just what a great coach he was. Um, is he is he up there with some of the best coaches that you've come across? Because he's certainly got a great yeah, reputation. Yeah, short, yeah, short period of time I worked with him. He's good. He was the sort of coach you want to play for. He's very passionate, uh, and, and he wanted to work. Uh, he worked hard, but then he rewarded you as well. Um, and, and that's what you want. You, like you want to go out and, and you want to play for the people who are inside you. But you also want to play for your coach as well or, or, or the team. So that's the if you get that element right, then that makes uh, makes all yeah, the difference. definitely. Uh, and then that relegation season was it a bit of just you know refreshing regrouping. You know we had a young set of lads coming through um, and blitzed the championship that year. Um, what you know was that just like getting the confidence back for the lads and you know fresh start with Dean yeah. Richards, Will Welsh was appointed captain and um, even brought in some some big names that year as well. Yeah, it was, and I suppose it was it was ideal time for Dean to take over. He come back from a sabbatical <laughs> at that point, uh, and uh, he he, he kind of just wanted to instill that winning mentality into us and bring that. Sort of, I suppose a bit old school back. I don't think I've drunk so much ever in my life in that year. Every every weekend you're on the chop <laughs> after a game, um, which is great for the team bringing us all together and um, sort of in, enjoying that and, and enjoying each other's company and, and building those relationships that then stand you in good stead going forward. Um, so yeah, so he uh, certainly helped that and, and that sort of, again brings back that winning mentality and that confidence to then when you do jump up to try and. Uh, compete again. Yeah, it becomes a habit, doesn't it? Winning, I mean, losing as well is the same. You you get locked into that yeah, habit, exactly. and it's that mindset of coming into the last ten minutes. And if you're five points down, but you've got that winning mentality, that you know that you're good enough to win, and vice versa as well. So um, certainly that year, I mean, I think we'd won all but two that year, that promotion year. So um, it was good to get that yeah. feel good factor, and then moving forward into uh, back into the back into the Premiership, um, you know, really sort of hit the ground running that year as well with some of the signings that we brought in. Um, you know, was that, you know, what was that like with that team? Um, I mean, I think we lost a couple, I think we lost Gopeth that year, mm-hmm. um, but certainly replaced, we had some good players that year uh, back in the Premiership as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, again, it's about getting the sort of right calibre of people in and also... That, that add to the squad and, and bring that, um, I suppose, bring that knowledge, that experience and that uh, understanding. And it's not necessarily a big marquee science, but it's, it's complementing people you've already got. 
uh, and then how they fit into it, and then how, how they fit into that sort of team. And, and that's certainly what team was 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 good at, um, and Falcons don't have the biggest budgets by uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It's about getting the right people in and building that right culture to 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 be successful. Um, and and when you can't just go and splash cash at it, it it's about looking for I suppose different traits and players uh, and what you and getting the best out of, of what you've got. Um, so yeah, and, and and that's certainly what what team very very good at is getting. Um, I suppose people are maybe a bit unloved uh, and, and bring them in uh, and give them that sort of another opportunity. And uh, well, you, you mentioned he's bringing those players in and, and giving them a bit of bit of TLC. That's essentially what the Falcons' run to fourth was built on because it was a essentially it was a team of um, of, 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 a, of a lot of journeyman players, wasn't it? Um, who, who put this run together and, and managed to, to to get into the playoffs against all the odds. Uh, yeah, it was obviously you had sort of guys that sort of real top of the game at, at that point as well. You know, you had Simon Hammersley playing very well. You had uh, Mark Wilson, which basically has led to his England career and his recognition. Will Welsh was, was going was going well, um, and that sort of, uh, sort of confidence wise. And, and the good thing about that year is that was the year we probably had a bit more strength and depth. So you, you had your front front line fifteen, which was which was really good. Uh, and then you also your bench was good, but then the, the guys who weren't getting picked that were, were almost of a uh, similar caliber. That if somebody did pick up an injury, then you had sort of a good light for light replacement almost. Uh, and and that's when you did pick up those injuries that you had people really, uh, people there to, to step in and, and perform. Where I suppose sort of latterly because of of people retiring and maybe not replacing. Um, and people moving on and maybe not replacing them with with is is the same people. That when you do lose somebody through injury or or, or anything, that is a next thing to step in. That there's a bit of a drop in in in, in quality, um, and that's sort of no fault of the sort of players as such. It just takes time to, to build them up and the young guys. But then the flip side of that is the young guys are getting good opportunities to to stick their hand up probably earlier than they would have had previously, and that's the sort of the fine balance that. That you get, and you look at the most successful clubs, Exeter's or Saracens, um, and and sort of sales and Watts. They've got a lot of strength and depth. Um, and if they, if somebody does drop out, then they've got some uh, a similar caliber person. Um, you look at front row. So Exeter take off an international front row, yeah, bring on yeah. an international front row. So 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 that and that's that's massive. I mean, you're not then taking off a. a, a a professional a Premiership front row bringing on an academy lad. Do you mean that's that's the difference? Yeah, so that was your final year, wasn't it? That uh, that season where we finished fourth. Um, what was it? Because you didn't you finish your career with the you finished with the Barbells? I know that I did that was that that was the start was of the year we got. Um, was it that year? I can't remember. It might have been the year before. Um, now nah, that would have been. Was it, what before. was that like playing for the Barbers? We had yeah. Tim Visa on um, uh, a few few weeks ago, and he he said a couple of really interesting stories about the Barbers, which he probably shouldn't have done. Uh, but it was good to hear anyway. <laughs> I mean, what was that like? Was that ultimately was it just a week where it was just a piss up and throw a rugby ball around uh, and just enjoy yourselves? What you know? What was it like playing with them? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Um, you're, I, what, they played the Saturday night, had they? I can't what they done. 
they played Saturday and I joined them for the second week. So um, I rocked off for the 10 o'clock meeting and I was only one. Me and an Italian guy were the only ones in the meeting because everyone else was so hungover. <laughs> they didn't bother. So they just and then we convened at like one to then organise dinner to start drinking again at five. Um, so it literally was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday drinking. Uh, Friday was a little bit less. And then Saturday played the game and then just went out again. Like, I don't know, my liver taken. I came back and it was... Oh, well. <laughs> I came back. I came back with a lot of pain. And then when I training, training Monday, then I didn't feel too great Monday. I got Tuesday off and then ended up getting taken to hospital Tuesday night and my appendix out oh, on nice. Wednesday. So my missus still claims that's why I got my appendix out. It's because I've been on, on the piss for the, the previous <laughs> Worth week. Worth it, though. <laughs> I was. It was great. It was a great experience. It was, also, it was one of those things that I always wanted to be involved in and, uh, and to uh, uh, to experience. And it was brilliant. Maybe playing with um, some some really high caliber players, um, but like some Carl Heyman, um, who else was there? Ali Williams, um, who else was in, in the team? Trying to think. Paul Griffin from Italy. Uh, there was Ben Tapawai at the time there. There was the, the Australian hooker now. Um, I can't remember his name. Uh, I forgot his name. Was he, was, he was really good. Um, so be, you're getting to play with some some really sort of high qual, quality yeah. players you wouldn't normally get to. And there's not really any pressure. So you can have a crack. You can do something silly and, and sort of really te- test, your, test your limits and, and get away with them. Yeah, I, Tim had mentioned uh, about uh, Michelac drinking champagne um, having champagne in a water bottle. Uh, was there any sort of little stories like that of, of players doing something just completely amateur, uh, but on like the professional um, scale? You mean pretty much just drinking constantly for sort of 72 <laughs> hours? Um, I, what was it? We just, I think, that we went we went and played golf. We were based down in Cheltenham and uh, we were like a. Uh, in the hotel bar, it was, like, it was a gin bar, and I think they basically ran out of gin. The boys were just in there constantly, just drinking uh, gin. But we went and went and played golf. This little, um, I, I don't can you tell you where it was, uh, up some hill. Uh, we played some golf. It was about 10, 12 of us playing. I uh, came back and we all got told it was like 30 quid for the round. So we all put 30 quid in, but they, they basically gifted us the round. So all we did was we put it behind the bar and. and it was a, it was like a, it was like a public thing. You couldn't drink thirty pounds in there. And it was that cheap, and uh, it was old school lock. And we weren't allowed to leave until we finished all the drink, uh, and then went back to like a proper team function. And it was like it was all over the place, um, which was uh, which was it was quite amusing. So we ended up sort of sitting this formal dinner and I'm back to which was pretty good. Ali, I just wanted to go back briefly to the. Um... The seventeen eight season, uh, your last season in the Falcons finished fourth. You were one of like the uh, the kind of key players in that run in. I remember you scoring some very important tries against the likes of uh, of Gloucester and Leicester. Yeah. Was there at any point did you think I can you know you know I don't want to retire. I I can still carry on. Um. Yeah. You 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 always kind of think that. Um. And I, I probably felt myself I could play play another year. Um, and, and 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 be involved in some capacity, but uh, Dean thought otherwise, uh, and I kind of knew it was coming at some point, uh, and 
I got a heads up that year that I wasn't getting kept on pretty much just before Christmas. So you knew um, you knew that was sort of coming. Um, so you could kind of focus all your energy on, on that. I, I did look around a little bit, but um, to be honest, it was more a family decision. Uh, and and where, where I wanted to go and where I wanted to be. Uh, and, and the idea was we wanted to stay in Newcastle. Uh, yeah. Kids were at school now uh, and didn't really want to be chasing them around all over the place. Um, so it, it was it was sort of good good timing. It was a good fit, and then it's not until you maybe sort of meet come to terms with it, you actually think, yeah, no, now's a good time to get out when you can still put your toes just uh, and you feel all right, um, and, and you've sort of moved on to the next next. So um, I, I know that you you coached uh, at Pontyland, a very successful year coaching at Pontyland. So I take it that nine's not going to be in your ultimate fifteen. No, nah, probably not. No, I, I can change if you I'll, want me. I'll go on the bench if you want. <laughs> I was used to um, Yeah, so I mean, you, you did a bit of coaching with Mike Blair, which was brilliant. Like we certainly learned a lot from you both. Is that something that you were looking at maybe doing um, going into? going into sort of coaching full-time or was it just just to sort of keep involved in the game do your uh, your community service with us idiots <laughs> community service yeah. basically you I, I would love to be a professional coach, <laughs> you guys put me off it well, we um, always say that we started Mike Blair's uh, coaching career and he's now at Glasgow and he wouldn't have been there without us um, <laughs> yeah um, it's very true uh, I just want to mentally with you and I just have to give up rugby all together I'm not surprised uh, no, no. I would love to be a professional coach, um, and that would have been sort of dream job. But um, for sort of family reasons, we we just decided to sort of stay stay away from that. Just with the, I suppose, the uncertainty of it, and the, the moving people around, and, and constantly jumping forward. So if after Pontiac went on to uh, coach at Bladen, and things didn't work out there, and it sort of made me realise that. Um, that it can be sort of fickle, a bit like your playing career. If somebody doesn't yeah, like yeah. you, then that's you done. Then you have to update move all your family. So we decided to sort of step away from that a little bit. Um, and just, um, I, I would love to get back involved in coaching at some point. Um, the good thing about not being yeah, involved definitely. is you get weekends back uh, and you get, you, get, you get to sort of um, do stuff with the family, which is nice. Um, so that that's the, sort of the, the flip side of it, but it's it's just one thing. So hopefully, I'll get back into it at some point um, and, and get involved. I certainly would like to do that. I think I've got something to give in, in that front, and and I really enjoy it as well. That's the other side. It's just, but at the moment, with young kids, uh, a new job, uh, it just felt it's probably easier just to sort of yeah. step back. And what's that? What's that transition like going from the professional sport environment to um, to the job you're in now? Was that was that is it a big change or is uh, yeah, it you know something that you you're quite happy with? You're not sore on a morning, and you know as you say, you get your weekends back and that family time, which is so key. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's completely different. Like you, you can't compare the two. Um, you can't call a spade a spade in an office <laughs> yeah. environment. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's very it's very different. There's pros and cons to everything. Um, do you mean you, you miss the, the the camaraderie of the boys and in, in, in the crack a bit more, um, and even more so now you're just stuck in your spare room, and that's certainly 
we were looking forward to getting back into the office just because you're around sort of colleagues and friends and you can, you can bounce ideas yeah. off uh, people. Um, and you've got to remember when you're in a rugby environment as well, you've got pretty much 40, 50 like-minded people uh, that are there for all for the, the, the same common good and, and, and are, are normally very sort of similar uh, people. Um, and whereas you go into sort of, uh, the real world, it is very different. Um, and it takes a little bit of getting adjusting to it, but it's one of the things you've got to get on with it. And there's nothing you can't sort of dwell too much on it and think about it. And just uh, might we just go on, dive first in and, and learn. It's a massive learning curve. It's starting any new job, career. Um, and get uh, whole chart and uh, he, he said when he made the transition as well. He said, you, you've played rugby since you're oh, six, seven years old. You've grown all the way up. You've got to professional rugby. You've got 20 years experience, um, or so maybe 10, 15 years experience, plus all the experience you, you learn to get to sort of the top of your, your game. I've only been in sort of banking for a couple of years, so you're still learning yeah. constantly, picking things up. Uh, and and it, is, it is a steep learning curve, but that's one thing I think rugby teaches you is that sort of uh, learning to adapt and, and overcome. Uh, and and sort of uh, a lot of your past experiences that rugby teaches you with dealing with people and managing people and and trying to get the best out of people and and, and working together towards a goal stands you in good stead. It's not until you sort of step away from that and, and go into the real world that you realise how much yeah, definitely. rugby teaches you. Um, so what I mean in your your career, what the what the ultimate highlights that you've got um, was it that sort of Scotland debut, the Barbarians, or is there is there no real sort of thing that you can put your finger on? You obviously you, you go back to your first cap, Millennium Stadium, two thousand and four, like in front of eighty thousand people, it was just uh, phenomenal. Um, and you, you can never, uh, if it wasn't in Murray, if it, if it had to be anywhere else other than Murrayfield, yeah, Millennium Stadium, which is which is brilliant. Um, and and and, and absolutely loved that. Whereas uh, other highlights, also winning the Calcutta Cup a couple of times, going to the World Cup two thousand and seven, uh, so club wise would be. Um, Edinburgh sort of finished second in the, in the league, which was, which was brilliant um, from where we'd been for the three seasons previous. And the same with the Falcons as well. It was, <clears throat> it was a long journey to get from where we were to, to where we got to just before we retired. And, and it was nice to sort of finish off on a high and, 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 and get, well, we didn't win anything. Um, it, it was nice to sort of uh, get up there and, and that sort of achievement for, for where Falcons were at the time was, was, was very good. And just, uh, we've talked about that season after where the, um, the Falcons unfortunately get relegated. And one of the reasons that people kind of put that on is the loss of not just you, but the likes of um, Bobby Vickers, Scott Lawson, Nilly Latu. Is it, you know, it, it might have happened to you in your career. Is it difficult to lose a lot of experience at the same time? Um, yeah. And, and that's that's the hardest thing, isn't it? You, you can't replace that. and it's not necessarily. I used to. It was always frustrating when you're you're young and you pick the older guy over because he's a bit more experienced. You think, well, I think I'm better than you. And it is getting that balance right of, of youth and experience. And, and I back to my previous point was if it, certainly I, I didn't at the start of the season play as much as I'd like to. Um, but when you did call upon, you were stepping in. Um, so if Welsh got injured or, or Welsh got injured uh, or Nelly, then you you sort of stepping in to, to be involved. Um, and, and that that's the sort of, again, it was just that uh, that experience to be in and around the squad all, all the week, not necessarily just in the match day. 
and to keep pushing boys on and, and trying to get the best out of everybody. And that's kind of uh, a little bit what 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 they miss. And again, same with Bobby and Scotty. Um, it's just that again, quality of front row. They maybe weren't starting every week, um, but they were they were they were in the squad. They were around there. And if one of the sort of other front lines stepped out, then there was a a like for like replacement. Uh, and that was the kind of, sort of strength and depth that we had uh, that year. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I think Darren might have. Darren, are you there? I think Darren's had to. Uh, he, he messaged me before saying he's uh, he's got his tree. He's getting his trees cut down, so uh, he might have to dive out for a couple of minutes. So, um, uh, so I'll sort of take over. So that that year, I mean, it's. I know you you went back and you said um, you said that year that we had so much strength and depth and you know we potentially didn't get the injuries the year after where we got relegated we had lost a lot of experience but we had a rotten time with injuries and yeah obviously plays such a huge part if you if you don't have that depth and that experience and you know as you were saying we weren't replacing um, we weren't replacing a, you know a, a top quality Premiership player with a, another top quality premiership player it was top quality premiership player with maybe an academy lad um that that were maybe sort of slightly out of their depth um so that's just sort of part and parcel of it but um you know certainly certainly that year that we got to the semi-final again I think we were probably quite lucky with injuries that year I don't think we had too many off the top of my head um certainly in comparison no. to the year after as well so um, it's just one of those things in sport, isn't it? If you pick up a couple of injuries, it can sort of snowball, um, and then that mentality comes in. And I think we were losing quite a lot of games by where we were winning them the year before by two, three points. We were we were certainly losing them by two, three points the year after, and it's that sort of winning mentality that had sort of maybe gone. I think. Um, would you do you think that season that we we got to the semi final? Do you think that winning mentality? Do you think that came from? The experience that we had, um, a little bit, yes. But then again, it's just that it's almost the the reverse. The following year, it's just you had that winning mentality, and you you had that confidence of going into games ten minutes to go, and you maybe a try down or five points down yeah. that you were going to win it. Um, and the amount of games that we won the last couple of minutes, um, picking goals. Or it was it was that jammy try you scored against Leicester at Welford Road. Jammy at all? Very, very uh, yeah, very good. Um, yeah, like things like that. Um, and you just had that confidence, that belief you going to do it. Whereas the flip side, the following year, you kind of looked at the, 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 the maybe be like five points ahead, three points ahead, with ten minutes to go, and they looked like. They were hanging on rather than pushing on, and that's the sort of difference, uh, and yeah. that sort of confidence and belief. And and you, you can look across any sort of sport. You take Leicester when they won the Premier League; uh, they they weren't the best team uh, like on paper, but they believed in each other and they had that confidence yeah. that they were going to go out and win. And that that's massive. And you look at golf, the same. It's a huge part of professional sport is that belief and confidence. Um, and if you get that right, um, you're you're you're. Yeah, um, I don't know if Darren's back in the room. You're back. I'm back. Yes, sorry. Um, season ahead, then, Ali. Like, what what do you think would would be a successful season for the Falcons? <laughs> it's so difficult to see, isn't it? With with everything going on uh, in the world, what what the competition is going to be like if there is going to be one, um, and also 
um, with whether they ring fence it or not. Um, I think if they were to ring fence it, I think that would benefit the Falcons massively because then they can plan ahead a bit more and have a bit more sort of certainty and revenue and um, and I suppose sort of corporate stuff as well, getting the sponsoring because they need that they need that sponsorship and that support from the, the community just to, to, to be successful and you can put more of a plan in place rather than sort of living year to year. Um, but again, it's back to that thing that they've had a, a good a good year um, last year, got a lot of confidence. Uh, they seem to be playing a, a bit better style of rugby than they did the previous year. They made a few tweaks to the attack. Um, so I, I think success would be is obviously staying up and then building from there. Uh, I don't think you can kind of look too far beyond that because as you see a lot of the other teams are strengthening, there's a lot more money coming in at, at the top, especially sort of the way that sales been sort of spending money. Extra's got a lot of money as well. Gloucester and such like so. And, and you're kind of looking to so, beat the guys around about you. So it's going to be Leicester who are in big tra- sort of transition as well. London Irish, and um, Worcester as well. If you can try and pick up wins around about those guys and beat them, then I think they'll be all right. And just a, a quick question on ring fencing because obviously you've played in in the old Magnus League, which became the Pro Twelve and now the Pro Fourteen, with no relegation, and you've then moved to the Premiership, where most of the focus is on relegation. What's what's your thoughts on ring fencing now that you're not a not you know not an active player anymore? Um, well, when I was playing, when you were younger, you thought it was terrible. You, uh, well, sorry, when you're younger, you thought it was good because you got an opportunity earlier. But then when you got older, they, they valued experience more, so you, you preferred the relegation because they kept you in the team. Um, but the yeah, like it's like again, there's pros and cons uh, to it. I think um, pros being teams can plan a bit more. They can uh, again sort of bring on the youth. Can maybe sort of throw caution to win a bit more rather than be nervy, get a bit more entertaining rugby. Whereas um, with with not having relegation, then it kind of caps the the ambition of clubs below, which is a shame. Um, and and that's I suppose the good that if you want to be successful and move up the leagues, as as quite a few clubs do in the championship, then there's not really any incentive for that. Uh, and then you're probably going to have less of a, a two-tier professional system in England. You're probably going to go one with the top clubs funding or loaning out players and covering the sort of salaries potentially that way. Um, so it is difficult, um, but I think more so with the financial constraints that's going on with everyone at the moment, then probably ring fencing could be better because then they can then market it slightly different as well. And you see that with the CBC guys coming in, putting an investment into it, looking to change some of the uh, the parameters as well within within the rugby. Uh, and not, not necessarily just premiership, but also national team as well. Would you be uh, a fan of a, a British and Irish league if it ever came to pass? Um, well, they've got that. I don't think you would be able to have that as such, I don't think, because... Um, I think there's, there's too many teams um, to, to to make it survive. You, you, if you did, you'd have to have like sort of two either two groups type thing, then and have a playoff, or you'd have to have sort of two two leagues like a, a Premiership and a, and a First Division and such, and, and promote something down, um, which I don't know if they go for. Um, and then then where where did Italy go? I think the the Pro 14 is, is not a bad necessarily a bad idea bringing other people in, but again, it's all going to be revenue driven. And, and I think sort of Wales and 
Wales, Ireland, and Scotland definitely weren't involved in that. England is the predominant sort of uh, funder of that, uh, and that's why you look at the Pro Fourteen. That's why they brought the staff inciting. They've got they've got the cash to help sort of um, bring up the the Pro Fourteen. Yeah, and it looks like we've got the um the, the big South African sides coming in. That looks pretty pretty much inevitable now. Yeah, that's good. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, ho- hopefully they can all grow side by side. Um, like you say, the game needs to become a bit more sustainable, and hopefully that's the way forward. So, yeah, definitely, and, that, and that's the hardest thing. Is especially what this is is throwing up is what's sustainable and what's not sustainable, um, and, and 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 looking at that um, and 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 what what's viable, and that's the big thing at the moment. And it's not just in not just in rugby, but across all sports of, of what what can be successful going forward and, and what can we afford to run. And it's, it, it, unfortunately, it's going to be the detriment of, of the players, really, because they're not going to earn the same kind of money. And they're the ones that will be expendable, unfortunately. Yeah, we've, we've had a, um, a few guys on the podcast. We had Ollie Stedman on, um, who's talked about his struggles of being released, first of all, and then trying to find a club as his next challenge. Um, and those are the guys you kind of feel sorry for. You know, through no fault of their own, they might just wind up having to retire early or move yeah. into different professions, and it, it's it's a real shame. And that's the, that's the key for especially any any but not even young people, but any age of people is having that second plan and that second focus. Um, I think it's good for your it's good for your sort of uh, I think it's good for your rugby having that other focus. So you're not constantly just thinking about rugby, but then um, if things do happen, you've got another string to your bow that you can then go, go and find employment elsewhere. Absolutely. Well, we'll um, we'll wrap it up, Ali, and we'll move on to your um, your ultimate fifteen. So, um, obviously, you've, you've played with a, a lot of good players over the years. So, let's see what you've come up with. Um, yeah. So, uh, so this is just basically people that you've played with or played against. Or played with. Played with. Played with. Um, so I suppose. Uh, loose head. Um, it's the tough one actually because it'll be Bobby Vickers or. Um, Alan Jacobson, Chunk, um, both two phenomenal props for sort of diff- different reasons. Um, in fact, I'm probably going to pick both of them. So I'll put one at tight head. I'll put um, put Chunk across the tight head and put Bobby in at loose head. I think that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, and then you'd have, uh, I know it's probably controversial, but I'm going to put it. Uh, uh, I'd have so hooker wise would be who have played with. Probably be Rossford. So just a phenomenal athlete. Do you need a reason for this, or just people? No, no, that's fine. He's um because Rossford has actually made it into a few teams. I think he was Tim Vissers as well. He seems to be uh, a bit of a favourite. So um yeah, he, he he was a hell of a player. Mm. Um, and then you've got um second row would be um Nathan Hines. And uh, it would be probably Scott Murray. Oh, good shot. And then you've got uh, after that, six would be Todd Blackadder. Okay. Uh, he, he was so big in my early days as well. Uh, eight would be Simon Taylor. People forget what a great player he was. Yeah, phenomenal. Like, Gannon had done his well. He helped me because that's how I got played so much. Because he tore his ACL, 
Um, but he was a phenomenal player. He, he was like an athlete before they were athletes. But no way. Uh, and seven, who, who would play along seven? Sorry. It'd probably be Mark Wilson. Yeah, I can't argue that. Mark, Mark what? <laughs> yeah, he, he he makes everybody's team, which is a, which is a fair shout. Uh, and then nine would be Mike Blair. Uh, you put ten would be probably put Jimmy Gopworth in there. Yeah, he was he was yeah, fantastic. I mean, well. he's like fine wine. He's just he's getting better and better. Which is how old is he now? He must be like thirty five. And he's, he's had a few tough injuries in the last few years as well. So for him to yeah, well, that's probably helped. probably helped him a little bit. So you had a couple of bad injuries, but then your body's not taking the same punishment yeah. against you're injured. But actually, yeah, can help a little bit to a certain extent. Um, then where where am I? I'm at a uh, winger played with would be Sinotti. and Excellent. other winger would be Nicky Gonova. Um. I think they're both pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, fullback would probably be Chris Patterson. The ultimate kicker, wasn't he? Is he... Yeah. Has he and still got like got... the highest Sorry? kicking percentage ever? Because he, I mean... The World, World Cup, yeah, he yeah. the kick in the 2007 World Cup. Would you class him as one of the great kind of underrated players, Chris Patterson? <laughs> yeah, he, he was just very good. He was very adaptable. He played in the wing, he played at 10, played at fullback. He was just a very good sort of footballer. Um, he was, the problem was, he was just very, very slight. Um, and he, he just he was one of those guys who just couldn't put, couldn't put weight on. Um, and that that was probably his, his biggest drawback. But he was very skillful, understood the game well. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a phenomenal kicker as well. And who would you go for in the. Uh... Who would you go for in centres then? Yeah, try to think centres wise. Um, who am I thinking centres wise? Who, who I played with? But like Brendan Laney was good. He was just uh, uh, just as, as a character and also his ability for uh, a fat lad. <laughs> what he could do with him. <laughs> um, and then thirteen probably be who's one of the best thirteens. Would be, um, I'd probably say Ben Cairns from Edinburgh. Fair enough. I thought you might have given Chris Harris a shot. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to think. Harris would be there, but nah, I'll go with Ben Cairns. Fair enough. Fair enough. Not a bad team at all. Not a bad team at all. I think we do all right. And uh, just obviously made up of mostly Scots. Where, where do you think Scotland are at at the minute? Because they, they seem to be making a lot of progress under um under Cotter and then under Townsend, but they just seem to have stalled a little bit. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, it's fair to say, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how this sort of autumn series goes for all, all countries, really. Um, but the, what is it? Next weekend, isn't it? The start of the six or the end of the Six Nations. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's great. It's quite interesting. It's going to be tough because I think you've seen that with... Um, Edinburgh had a really good season last season or this season as such finishing. Um, but then they've started the new season poorly because I think they had two big semi-finals, lost them both. Um, and it's just been, uh, I think, the sort of the, the emotional um, sort of uh, toll of it sort of taking on it. Um, so how that sort of rolls on into the, the 
the whatever this tournament's called, the end of Six Nations and the what is it called? Nations Cup or something like that? The uh, yeah, Autumn Aur- Nations Cup. Aur- Nations Cup, yeah. So uh, how that sort of rolls on there um will be will be, be big for them ahead of hopefully the Six Nations in sort of February, March. Um and I think you'll find Gregor likes to change his team a lot anyway, but you'll get a, a, quite a few new caps and, and sort of blood and new people and, and building things up and seeing different options ahead of that Six Nations. Yeah, fingers crossed it goes well. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I was reading this morning that Scotland actually still do have a, a very small chance of winning the Six Nations. <laughs> they just do, need yeah. a very extraordinary set of results. They've got to put so many points in Wales, don't they? And then Italy have got to beat Ireland. And is that right? And then because Ireland got two games. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, and and so did Italy. So yeah, Scotland have to win by so many points, and then Italy need to win both their games. So you never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> Unlikely, but you can. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, thank you very much, Ali. So Hopefully, we'll get you uh, back Thanks, for pod twos next year. Yeah, what? Yeah, what? what what's the crack? <laughs> pod twos, maybe, maybe three. Um, three, three, probably. What's the what's the crack with you guys? Are you are you still employed at the moment? You followed, or what? What's the crack with you guys? Uh, furloughed and, and waiting to hear basically at the minute. Okay. So, um. Obviously, the new new season is drawn closer by the day, yeah. so ho- hopefully we hear some news soon. When what, have you had any communication on that? What it's going to be, or not really? But I, th- I think, in fairness to the club, the um, you know, the, the information around this whole thing changes day to day. Yeah. So it, it must be incredibly frustrating to to try and deal with, uh, you know, a, a, as any sports club. Because well, because they've now got this job support scheme, haven't they? So the case Jenkins will get switched onto that a little bit until basically you can get crowds coming back. Fingers crossed. Um, well, you know, as I say, we're, we're just waiting to hear, but, but fingers crossed. I, I, I don't know, maybe you don't answer, but like, you, I suppose there's nothing for you to do really because it's what well, because there's not any games to plan for as such that you can have crowds at in the near future, and also, um, and it, it, it's just brutal, isn't it, for, for the likes of professional clubs, I suppose, staff like you, that there's not actually any work to do because you can't. Proactively yeah. go out and do anything because you don't know what there is to do. Yeah, I, th- I think for any sport outside of football, uh, the outlook is is, is pretty bleak. Yeah. If, if I'm being brutally honest, what are you guys? All right, you got anything else you're trying? I know I've done this, which is a great idea. Um, are you you kind of uh, I think things or what? what are your you've you've on got that? to look around. I mean, even the the sort of all um, job retention. We don't know when fans are back or anything. So yeah, you've. You've, there's got to be plans B, C's, D's, and so on and, and, until we until this uh, turns into a million million pound um, podcast, which uh... <laughs> one day, um, yeah, you've, you've just got to be realistic. I think. Yeah. I mean, well, but, um... Hopefully, it works out for you both because obviously, I know it's not not the best uh, at, at the moment, and. It just, I suppose it's like everybody isn't. just want things to get back to some normality. Yeah, that's it. It's just it's, going forward. It's clarity, but ultimately nobody, nobody in the country has any clarity on anything at the minute. So, yeah, you, you can't blame anything. Yeah, because I mean, uh, we're, we're 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 sick of not working. I'm sure you're sick of working in your spare room. Yeah, uh, Tom A was telling us he's sick <laughs> of uh, having his kids disturb him when he's trying to work. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just. Um, yeah, we'll get there. Won't, won't die completely. We'll get there. 
No, you'll get there. Me a little hibernation. Hopefully, then, yeah. Uh, Brilliant. Well, we'll thank you very much, Ali. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you soon. Not at all. All right. Look after yourself. Cool, yeah. Cheers. Take care, both of you. Look after yourself, man. Speak soon. Bye. That wraps up episode 9 with Ali Hogg. Thanks again for listening and checking out the Northern Rugby Podcast. You can catch all of our previous episodes either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube or the Anchor Podcast website. Make sure to follow us on Twitter as well to keep up to date with all our latest episodes and we'll see you guys next time for episode 10.